Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, October 10th, 2011. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And this is our weekly rundown of Around the Nation here on D3Football.com, running down what happened in Week 6 and what's coming up in Week 7 of the 2011 Division Three football season. And uh, Keith, um, you know, last week we, uh, you and I talked before the uh, podcast started, and one, one of the words I didn't want to say was clarity. Um, but the first thing that came to my mind when uh, looked at what happened in the uh, New Jersey Athletic Conference, for example, and not that it's the only conference at which we get some, you know, some good games out of, but we had three top 25 teams, so it's particularly interesting this week. Uh, and then uh, so we get Montclair State edging Cortland State, and then Kane rallying to beat Buffalo State. So now we have two teams tied at the top of the conference there uh, that are uh, that are both undefeated and headed for a, a late season meet uh, meetup. Yeah, and, and when you're looking at what we were looking at last week, which was potentially five teams in the mix, you know, counting Kane, Montclair State, Cortland State, TCNJ, which uh, for those of you across the country, it's the College of New Jersey, and then Rowan, uh, all those teams were, were in the mix with, you know, one loss or fewer uh, in the conference. And all being competitive in the games they played against each other, you know, it gets to be one of those conferences that you sort of put an asterisk next to and say, we got to keep an eye on these guys later on the season because every year there's two or three conferences where it's some of them. There's a lot of three-way tie possibilities when we get into week nine, week 10, week 11. And then there's always one or two where there's like a four-way tie or occasionally a five-way tie possibility. And in the end, Jack was, uh, was looking like it may be that conference. But uh, the good thing about, about having that thought early in the season is that the games begin to sort it out. And uh, Cortland State and Montclair um, played on Saturday. And then Kane got itself a, a pretty good test. They hung on and won, and so now they're they're up there at the top of the conference, uh, still with Montclair State. But that that big game in the conference on Saturday was was the Montclair State Cortland State game, and they had history from last season playing a tight game. Yeah, last season uh, Jake Del Vento had a shot from thirty yards out to kick a field goal and uh, give his team the win. Uh, he went uh, uh, wide left. It ended up being a, a 10-9 Cortland State win at Cortland. Remember, uh, Cortland and Montclair both made the NCAA playoffs, uh, and uh, Rowan got left out. They were uh, each of the three tied at uh, with one loss apiece at the top of the conference. Um, this year, Devanto had another shot, and he uh, connected from 32 yards out with a buck 16 left. So Montclair State, in a uh, in a back and forth game, comes up with a 34-33 win. And you know, Keith, one of the uh, Many side notes in this game, but I, I think an intriguing one is that it was very nearly a uh, a game-winning safety. That's how Cortland State had taken the 33-31 lead in the first place just three minutes earlier. You almost never see that, and and you go back a little bit even before that. Cortland State had kicked itself a short field goal to tie the game at 31. Yeah, and then to and then in that right right after the five-minute mark to get the the safety to take the lead. Uh, if they'd been able to hung, hang on, that'd be. Probably the first game that I can remember, Pat, that was that was decided on a, or would have been decided in, in the last five minutes on a safety. Uh, but Delvento got a chance to redeem himself, and he did it. I don't know if it mattered that it was uh, on his home field this time. Last year was away. You know, the crowd at Cortland can be kind of rowdy, but for for a Montclair State game, and because it's so so far away from the field, you know, I don't know if that's a factor. And the teams. Um, you know, turf and grass teams now nowadays play on both. So I don't know, you know, that was that was a big factor. I think for him, it was probably just, uh, you know, being in the moment and, uh, and and having that chance, you know, as a player, 
you really do think about um, certain games, especially your rivals in the conference. You know, the, the one play you didn't make the season before and whether if you're offensive lineman, it can be a block you missed. If you're on defense, it's a tackle or somebody you didn't cover for a kicker. You know, it's almost always that kind of moment where where uh, it was a game winning field goal or, or a field goal that you should have made at some point in the game. So he, he almost certainly, you know, I don't know this because I haven't talked to him, but almost certainly he thought about this uh, all year to have the, the chance to win the game in an almost identical situation from an almost identical distance. And then the drill, the kick this time is a pretty big deal. You know, it, the, uh, the fact that Montclair state came back to win that game kind of overshadows the fact that, uh, uh, Cortland had rallied from being down 17 points, uh, with, uh, with five minutes to go in the third quarter, they trailed 31, 14, uh, and then Cortland state went on, you know, basically a 19, 0 run to take that two point lead. Um, it's very similar to the other game in which, uh, uh, Kane beat Buffalo state, by scoring 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to come back and win that game. They had trailed 27-17 uh, even later in the game with uh, with nine minutes left to go before uh, before Kane rallied with uh, two touchdowns and a field goal to come back and win that game. So, Keith, Mike, what I'm wondering about, about Kane, um, and I, I'm sure a, a lot of people uh, out there are as well, and I, I, don't, know, I don't expect you to have an answer because I don't have an answer, um, but this is a team that uh, you know struggled with College of New Jersey last week. Um, you know, gave up 33 points to Western Connecticut State. Um, you know, had to rally from uh, from 10 down, score 17 in the fourth quarter to beat Buff State. I know they beat Wesley. Um, you know, they had some obviously some great special teams play, blocked a pair of punts. Um, but you know, these are the kind of uh, squeaking by results that indicate that there may be some issues f- further down the road. Well, it, it certainly. For, for being a top 25 voter and seeing week after week that no, no matter the level of competition, whether it's Wesley or whether it's Western Connecticut, that Kane will play that game pretty close. That certainly d- doesn't give you um, a whole lot of confidence when teams lose to keep moving Kane up the, up the um, ladder. You know, right now this is a top 10 team or around that number 10 in, in, on almost everybody's ballot and, and, it makes you nervous when you see that team every week having to squeak it out. But at the same time, you know, I, I did think back a little bit about this and, and thought about um, there was a year when Delaware Valley and St. John Fisher were doing this every week. And then there was a year where Central did it every week. And, you know, after a while, we, we usually praise those teams. You know, we give them a nickname, we call them Cardiac Cougars or Cardiac Kane or, or something like that. Uh, a team that no matter what situation it gets in in the game, it finds a way to win. And and we probably should uh, should be praising Kane a little bit. But uh, maybe because they jump from unranked to, to really, really high in the poll so quickly. And then they give you those those heart palpitations every week. You know, we knock them a little bit for it. But um, but we pro- probably should give them a little credit, I think, to be quite honest. I think the one real positive that's coming out of this is that uh, more and more people every week have learned how to pronounce Kane. It's It looks like you want to pronounce it Keen, of course, but uh, it is pronounced uh, Kane, even though it's spelled K-E-A-N. And I think on a previous podcast, we detailed why, and I won't go back and do that again. But yes, Kane and Montclair State uh, still tied at the top of the NJAC, both 5-0 and overall, 4-0 and in conference. And Kane and Montclair meet on the last week of the regular season, November 12th at Montclair and you know, Keith, we'll get into this more, I think, uh, in November. But of course, there's uh, there's some history with the uh, with those two programs as well. Yeah, and and, and there's a lot of history uh, between almost everybody in the NJAC, but those two um, because uh, that's where the, the coach from uh, from Kane, that's where Dan Garrett uh, came from. He came out of the Montclair State uh, program, and then you also have um, you know these two teams. I think are on a similar track right now in that 
Um, Kane has won four of its five games by a touchdown or less. Montclair State has uh, now won three of its four by uh, by a touchdown uh, or or less. And then the Salve Regina game was 18-7, so that was an 11-point game. Um, really, between the two of them, both of them 5-0, and but just one blowout between the two of them. Um, and, and then again, you know, Montclair State still has to play. They have to go to TCNJ and go to Rowan uh, before they play Kane. And then Kane actually has already, you know, played a couple of tough opponents um, in uh, in Cortland and uh, Montclair State and TCNJ already, but they still have a, a home game against Rowan at the end of October. So uh, it, it could be a fun ride in the end, Jack. And uh, for both of these, for both the teams, the Cougars and the Red Hawks, it's been a fun ride. So uh, it, it's going to be one that we probably check in with every week on the podcast. Neither of those teams picked up their first loss this week, but a, uh, a handful of uh, teams either in the top 25, around the top 25, or at least in the, the discussion uh, picked up loss number one this past week. Um, Augsburg, for example, uh, gave St. Thomas a game, uh, kept uh, you know kept St. Thomas off the scoreboard for quite a, a, a long stretch of time, all things considered, uh, before falling 17 to nothing uh, or to to the Tommies. Uh, St. Thomas six and zero. Now Augsburg four and one. The the interesting thing here, uh, Keith and I, I was at this game was that. Uh, you know, St. Thomas, which had had such success throwing the ball the week before uh, against St. John's, really didn't throw uh, a whole heck of a lot. They didn't, uh, and they certainly didn't didn't throw deep. There was a, a lot of respect, it seemed, uh, by St. Thomas for uh, for Augsburg's secondary. Uh, they only threw a, a couple of deep balls, didn't connect on either of them. Uh, the 63-yard touchdown catch that uh, Fritz Waldvogel had to uh, open the scoring in the first play of the second quarter was really kind of a 15-yard route that he uh, took and in his uh, in his normal fashion kind of weaved his way to the end zone. But you know, Augsburg had its had its chances. Uh, they were in a position where uh, they had the ball in the red zone in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, before throwing a, an interception, which uh, Chini Oji picked off on about the two-yard line. And then uh, with uh, 7.33 left on fourth down from the nine, they uh, overthrow an, an intended receiver and turn the ball over on downs. Um, you know, St. Thomas took that uh, took that one and had a, a pretty quick 91-yard drive as uh, Dakota Tracy, the quarterback, sprinted for a 50-yard touchdown run. And it was all pretty much on the ground for St. Thomas. They ran for 331 yards. Tracy had 124. Colin Tobin had 155. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought Augsburg nonetheless was impressive. They, uh, you know, they, um, you know, they, they, uh, held St. Thomas, for example, uh, 0 of 3 on fourth down conversions. The Tommies went for, uh, went for the end zone a couple times early in the game instead of kicking what would seem to be makeable field goals, especially considering uh, there was a pretty big wind at the kicker's back for one of them. Um, and uh, they, they looked uh, fairly decent on offense. The, the one bright spot uh, especially was a, a freshman running back named Tyler Maxwell. He ran for 114 yards, and so he has now uh, rushed for 100 yards three times in his uh, four-game collegiate career. You know, the big takeaway from this game for, for me, and I wasn't there like you were, you got to put your eyes on these two teams. Well, you know, for me, it, it seemed like they both impressed. You know, they both, um, you, you improve your, your perception of them a little bit, uh, even though, they, you know, one wins and one loses. In the sense that for Augsburg, you know, they hadn't had a real stern test. And then when you play the number three team in the country, 
and uh and, and you know you're in the game the entire time you know as you mentioned pat it wasn't 17 nothing until uh in the fourth quarter so you know that that was a game the entire game and even though they only gained 250 yards and you know you know st thomas uh outgained him quite quite significantly 45 to 250 but um they were in the you know they had a chance to win that that gives them a little bit of legitimacy even though they pick up their first loss and they're now you know they now join the group of one of you know four and one five and one teams and i think i counted earlier tonight there's 36 of those teams across the country that are either four and one or five and one oh, is that, and that doesn't that doesn't count the the skyac or the nescac uh, and then, you know, St. Thomas now has beaten um, St. John's, you know, they've beaten St. Thomas, they've beaten St. Olaf, you know, obviously that's a lot of, a lot of saints. Um, but those, those are, you know, the more wins you stack up, I mean, I think that, that adds that legitimacy to the number three ranking. The, uh, the game against uh, Bethel will come not this upcoming week, but the week after they have uh, Hamlin in between. Uh, Hamlin hasn't scored a point in three weeks, so... You know, while they won't be looking past, I'm pretty sure that you and I can, and we'll look forward to what happens in uh, in two weeks at Bethel. It'll be one of the few games, to be honest with you, that uh, St. Thomas will be playing on grass this year. Um, and uh, you know, Bethel is, uh, you know, they, I don't, I'm not sure how good they look, to be honest with you, against St. John's. Uh, it was, uh, it was 21 fourth quarter points to to win 41 to 20, and. Um, yeah, it was a, that was a game that was pretty back and forth until there was a pick six at the end to to put the game really out of reach. Another undefeated team that uh, picked up its first loss on Saturday was Worcester State. Uh, you know, we talked about Worcester over the uh, course of the last couple weeks as you know a, certainly a team to keep an eye on at a at a five and zero start. They'd been in a position where they hadn't been in a while, and then uh, they lose at Mass Maritime. And and that sort of uh, not a not a confusing loss, but just when you start to get a little bit of um, feel for where you think the hierarchy is in uh, in the in the Bogan side of the uh, of the Nessie, you know you get a, you get a loss that doesn't fit the um, yeah I guess the hierarchy. You know, I have to use the same word, but um, Worcester State was starting to put put consistent wins together, and I think the big victory for them was was to you know play Maine Maritime to be able to shut down the triple option. They have the 39-22 win they get to five and zero, and then we start to take them seriously and then turn around and uh and go to mass maritime and uh and, and lose that game 23-19 and that's one of the teams you sort of just you know you scratch them right off the list right when we were starting to pay attention to them um you know now they're in that they're in the one loss crew and that, that's a there's a bunch of teams now hanging around the top of the nfc and uh worcester state really needed to stay undefeated if they wanted to stay on top there yeah, in, in that division alone, it's uh, Worcester State, Maine Maritime, and Framingham all at uh, at three and one. And of course, Endicott, the undefeated team, is on the other side of the conference. Uh, Dubuque picked up its first loss on Saturday, and shoot, man, I I, I watched um, I guess about the last quarter and a half of that game, and it was uh, dude, it was the it was the Mike Zwiefel show to be honest with you. Even though uh, Warburg came out the victor and uh, and and frankly played better in the quarter and a half that I saw, but Zwiefel pretty much caught everything, almost ended up uh, single-handedly winning the game. Here's how the here's how it went down. Basically, kind of figured uh, Dubuque was, was out of it twice. Uh, it, um, they had, uh, they'd failed on a fourth down in the red zone, I think even a fourth and goal, uh, and then uh, Warburg comes back and scores pretty quickly to go up 10. Um, then uh, you know, there's a uh, uh, Dubuque comes down and scores. 
uh, and they uh, they go actually uh, get a two point conversion. So they had uh, uh, gone from down eleven to down three, and then they can't cover the onside kick. But they have two timeouts left. Warburg can't get a first down, so Dubuque gets the ball back with uh, a handful of seconds left, and only finally uh, runs out of time when a uh, uh, receiver gets tackled in bounds. And uh, I know I'm talking a lot about Warburg or about Dubuque in a game that Warburg won 42 to 39, but Dubuque for in a in picking up its first loss was certainly pretty impressive. And that may be a conference, and it has been in the past, where they, where they get two teams in the playoffs. You know, Dubuque. Uh, a, they're not out of it, but B, you know, Warburg already has a loss to Coast. Central has has a loss, and uh, so you know, you got now maybe four teams hanging around the top of that conference, and yeah. they all they're all are tied. Gonna need, yeah, they're all know. tied for it right now. In fact, yeah. So, so they're they're all gonna you know these last five weeks of the season they're gonna have to um, you know sort everything out, and that's gonna make it a fun conference to watch. But I think part of the reason it's been a more fun conference to watch is because Co isn't quite as good as we had expected and Dubuque is a little bit better than we expected. When you see a guy put up numbers like Michael Zwiefel's putting up, you know, you wonder, um, is it, does a team, I mean, are they, are they really deliberately trying to run his numbers up or is he just that good? And, and when you get in a game like this, a game that's tied at seven, 14, 21, 28, and then, you know, it was a 35, 31 game at one point, Pat. And then you mentioned it, it was an 11 point game. And then they go to his full again when they need him. He, he finished with 18 catches, 259 receiving yards. The long catch is only 35. So it's not like he had a hundred yard catch in there to boost, boost his number up to 259. You know, he has 18 catches averaging 14, um, yards per catch a couple of touchdowns on the day he certainly um you know everything he, he's built to be and more and, and going against you know a team that has a reputation for playing great defense in, in warburg and uh to put up those kind of numbers and give your team a chance to win it is impressive but again you know we should uh we should tip the hat to, to warburg as well they're now five and one uh and, and they've they've faced a couple of the best offensive players in division three they opened up with uh with Alex Tanny and, and Monmouth. And I know that's, it was his first game coming back from an injury and he may not have been all the way back, but uh, they were able to hang on and win that game. And they've beaten Dubuque now and, and they're in good shape in the, in the uh, Iowa conference. Two things. One, uh, all those great things you said about Zwiefel were true. Uh, he also intercepted a pass and had a tackle for loss. He's been playing uh, both sides of the ball. The interception came with Dubuque down 35-31, uh, set up the Spartans near midfield. Uh, they ended up taking a couple of sacks Ended up with a long fourth, fourth down that didn't convert, and then Warburg comes back and scores. But, you know, uh, that's the one thing. The other thing, of course, is that, uh, you know, Warburg and Dubuque are both 5-1 and one overall, both 3-1 and one in the conference. Uh, they can both win out, both end up 9-1. and one. They don't have to deliver each other another loss because they've already played each other. And that's the best-case scenario for the, uh, for the conference to get two teams in. Um, you know, Dubuque's big test remaining is uh, uh, among playing the other leaders. Is, is they have yet to play Co. So they play at Co on November 5th. Um, you know, with any luck, I hope to be down there and uh, taking that game in person. Uh, we'll see exactly how far it is from Minneapolis to Cedar Rapids. I know my brother is now going to tell me as he listens to this, it's about four hours or so. So I think I'll be down there for that. Uh, you know, circumstances permitting, we'll get a chance to see uh, Mike Zwiefel. I, I would say I get a chance to see him break the all-time receptions record, but the way at the rate he's going, it's if that's going to happen before this game. True, we do. And we thought it might be a stretch for, for him to do it in the season because he count, came in needing, you know, 116 or some, you know, a strange number of catches, which you might see in the NFL, but only 10 D3 games. You don't think a guy is going to average 
uh, you know, 11, 12 catches a game. And he's he's past that right now. Warburg is is in good shape because, you know, already um, played Co and Dubuque. And uh, their last four games, they play Central on the 29th of uh, of October. That's week nine for us. Um, but then they have Simpson, Loris, and Luther, their other three games. And between the three, between the three of them, they only have four wins. So uh, Warburg really only has the one big test left. Uh, 78 catches right now on the season for uh, for Zwiefel. And uh, I'd talk another Dubuque number again, but uh, Justin Spaulding, 28 carries for 196 yards as they continue to not be just a one-dimensional offense. But 18 for 259, plus a tackle for loss, plus an interception. You know, we haven't talked a whole lot about, um, I don't think maybe we haven't even talked about it at all, about uh, Gallardi Trophy, but this is a guy that, you know, depending on what his off-the-field stuff looks like, his uh, uh, his GPA and his community service, this is a guy who's got to be a candidate. Yeah, and, and there's going to be some other pretty, you know, a couple of no-brainer candidates, and uh, probably in Lavelle Coppage, you know, he's not necessarily putting up through-the-roof numbers, but uh, Whitewater, best team in the country, and they, they tend to get stronger as the season goes on. You know, he'll be in the mix. Uh, you, you know, you always see, uh, almost always see somebody from Mountain Union and, and so maybe some of the other national powers. We'll, uh, we'll have a player, a guy who stands out, you know, more for, for the type of player that he is uh, than necessarily the numbers. Uh, it, it, but, yeah, the, if, if the numbers are overwhelming, uh, he has to be a candidate. And I think the thing that's really um, outstanding to me about about him is that, um, you know, sometimes they, they say a coach's son, they, they get judged so much for, for being the coach's son that they have to work harder, they have to perform a little better so that nobody thinks they're they're getting favoritism. And and and, and Michael Zwiefels is clearly not only just doing that, but he's the kind of guy that maybe uh, wouldn't even be playing in, in Division Three if, if his dad wasn't wasn't a coach because he clearly has uh, the, the kind of talent that's uh, that's top notch uh, for this level. Uh, the last of our four picking up their first loss teams. Uh, I probably have to come up with a better nickname for that group. Uh, I'm sure if I were at ESPN, I would. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Wittenberg, which uh, went down to Huntington, took the trip down to Alabama, and came away with a 38-20 to loss. And, Keith, a, a game that uh, kind of turned on Wittenberg pretty early. Yeah, you know, um, Huntington got out to a 14-6 lead and, and was driving to score. And then uh, Wittenberg got a big 100-yard interception return. Uh, to make it 14-13. This is with 3:02 left in the half, so they're they're now, you know, wiping their brow, saying, "All right, we can go into this the half tied." Um, Huntington comes out, gets a false start penalty, something like that, and then a uh, 68-yard touchdown pass from uh, from Neil Posey, and then uh, Wittenberg gets the ball after the kickoff. Uh, ben Zoller has an incomplete pass, then throws an interception on the 28-yard line. Huntington uh, gets gets you know pressed to where they have to go for it on fourth and eight. And um, they convert the fourth and eight, 16-yard pass, and then another touchdown pass from Posey to Trevor Manuel, this time 10-yarder. So it goes in a span of of three minutes. Wittenberg gets his 100-yard interception return that they think is is, is going to make it a tight game, 14-13, and then they end up going in uh, at the half down, 28-13. And then it was sort of all Huntington uh, really from there in, in the second half. They ended up uh, opening up that lead to 38-13 before uh, Wittenberg uh, scored with 221 left. 
you, you know, you just look at the stats from the game. Uh, Huntington, 12 of 23 on third down. That's 52% efficiency. Three of five on third down. They, they passed for 306 yards and rushed for 329 yards. So they had all kinds of offense in Wittenberg, you know, traditionally a program uh, that's known for its defense and, and, and has played pretty good defense so far this season. Um, Huntington had the ball for nearly 40 minutes, 39-54 in this game. Uh, and again, that balance that, you know, you rush for 300, you pass for 300. Usually one of those is pretty good. Uh, so that, so it, it was a very legitimate performance uh, from Huntington. And I know that's a tough road trip to come down from Ohio. You know, teams in D3 don't necessarily um, take road trips to that distance. But the, the domination was there on the field to say that you, you probably wasn't uh, where the game was played that had anything to do with who won. Trevor Manuel with the uh, the two touchdown catches that that Keith mentioned uh, for 78 yards. He's actually the starting running back at 34 carries for 152 yards. He ended up with four touchdowns on the afternoon. This is the the kid who was uh, the uh, the cover boy on the triple take on Friday. Uh, if anybody ever wants to talk about a uh, d3football.com cover jinx, I don't actually think. Uh, I don't think anybody actually has talked about that. Um, <laughs> come to think of it, that's a that's. That's D3 Hoops. Uh, that's that's Dave McHugh's show. But um, certainly not one. The, the guy who, uh, who, who, we, who we featured in the, uh, in the game that was going to be one of the games of the week uh, came up big. Yeah, and, you know, that, that's always good to see, I guess, from, from uh, our standpoint when that happens. But, you know, also, if you, if you read Triple Take – uh, over the weekend, we talked a lot about the Wittenberg Huntington game, but there were a lot of games that that uh, between you know Ryan Tips, yourself, and, and myself, you know, we we pointed out, and we it turned out this was one of those weeks where we had a good feel for what was going to happen. Perhaps that that's because there there weren't a whole bunch of top twenty five upsets. It, that could be. In fact, all three of our game of the week picks ended up pretty good. Uh, Warburg Dubuque was one. Uh, Huntington Wittenberg was another, and uh, your pick Keith was Cortland State Montclair State. So I think three for three on that. Um, let's talk about the game that you went to this weekend uh, on Friday night. Uh, the game we affectionately call the the Guru Bowl. Well, someone affectionately calls it that. We just kind of don't have another good name for it. Uh, Keith went to Mont. Uh, you didn't go to Montclair State. Keith went to Randolph Macon. I went to Catholic University. And uh, even though they're in the same conference now uh, in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, uh, they had a, a fairly long-standing, uh, pretty good competitive rivalry going back before Catholic joined the league in 1999. And my first um, introduction to Keith McMillan was when he intercepted four Catholic University passes in a game that I was broadcasting back in I guess it'd be 1996 then. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I would say Keith's uh, alma mater's had the upper hand in the rivalry for, for most of the time that uh, we've known each other, but it's still been pretty some pretty good games. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really what stands out from from the rivalry is that uh, the games, you know, they're, they're not always of national significance. You know, there was a period probably around 99, 2001, where Catholic, I think, was was a nationally significant team. And um, you know, they were running some of the offense. Uh, I mean, I guess Randolph Macon was too around that time. You know, the, some of the spread offense, you know, motion to empty backfield and, um, you know, Catholic calling out the plays at the line. And a lot of this stuff was was the brainchild of, of Marty Favret, who's now the, the offensive coach uh, or the head coach at Hampton City, but who's, you know, turning out great offenses year after year. Uh, a lot of that came from him, but they were still doing some of that stuff on on uh, on Friday night, and that that was the other neat thing about it. Catholic did a real nice job of putting together um, 
you know, making their game uh, family weekend, co- having it coincide with that, getting a great crowd out there, getting a lot of alumni there for this game. And then to bring a team uh, in like Randolph-Macon where, you know, they pretty pretty good bet it was going to be a competitively good game uh, was wise on their part. The thing I, that I thought was pretty neat um, was that the game was 37-34 at one point in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, we were kind of making the jokes back and forth on Twitter with, with Smendy, who was um, – you know, saying a Catholic because they rallied from uh, from down in double digits in the fourth quarter three times this year um, that, you know, that they had to get down by another touchdown to, to make this rally happen. And then they did get down. And uh, instead of Catholic coming back, Randolph Macon actually put the finishing touches on it, won that game 51-34. The real big difference was last week, Macon um, was held to 10 points in a loss to Emory and Henry. Uh, Zach Nakarado, the freshman quarterback, threw four interceptions last week. This week, he threw four touchdown passes, no interceptions. He was 25 of 31 for 372 yards. And for for a program that's been mostly a, a running program, uh, you know, they try to run the ball and, and play tough defense uh, since Pedro Aruza has. That's a big deal to have a have a 372-yard game, to, you know, to have six incompletions and four touchdown passes from uh, from Zach Nakarado. That was, that's a really big deal, uh, you know, within, I guess, you know, ODAC circles couple of big stats from that that game as well Greg Cordovari the Catholic quarterback who led all those uh those comebacks had another big game uh 27 to 45 317 yards three touchdowns 10 of his completions went to Alonzo Cook for 165 yards and a touchdown but not the biggest receiving uh game on that Friday night Christian Cook from Randolph-Macon 13 catches 212 yards for three touchdowns and uh, Vance Hendren also had a seven catch 104 yard day so the uh the points were flying at one point you know that game was uh you know it was really high scoring game and somebody in the crowd mentioned a uh a 50-50 tie which is you know probably a legendary game uh, in mid-Atlantic circles but because um one of us on the podcast played in it the other one was there uh, watching that game, it probably we we, uh, we talk about it even more. And then, of course, the fact that that ties uh, don't happen anymore. It's uh, it's part of the lore of, of the Yellow Jackets and Cardinals playing. And the the, the highest scoring tie in Division Three football history, which, uh, as you basically allude to, I, I can't imagine how it how that record would be broken. Um, I think the, the differences between uh, this game and the the three fourth quarter. Catholic comebacks in, in the uh, the first three weeks of the season was that uh, although you mentioned that Randolph Macon had a, uh, had a had a great passing night on Friday night they have a creditable run game and uh, that enabled Macon to run out the clock and keep the ball out of Catholic's hands whereas uh, uh, Gallaudet certainly wasn't able to do that uh, Carnegie Mellon you know as much as uh, they rely on running the ball wasn't able to to do that either. Uh, we're coming up close to uh, lightning round time. Maybe not quite. We're only about a half hour into this podcast. So we have some time to uh, talk at length about some other things. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned, uh, and you've probably heard this phrase too in our time together at USA Today, is that there's nothing more boring than somebody else's fantasy team. But if you uh, if you, if you uh, were a, a D3 uh, fan and a fantasy football player uh, on Sunday... And you had say on draft day, uh, doubled down on both Pierre Garcon of uh, the Indianapolis Colts slash Mount Union and Fred Jackson of the Buffalo Bills slash Co College. You did pretty darn well. Yeah, and, and I, for some strange reason, I always seem to end up with both of those guys on my my teams and drafts. And obviously, because I 
I either know of them or, or overvalue them, but uh, it's a real cool time to be a Division Three fan because not only is uh, Fred Jackson having his great season for the Bills, Garcon enjoying a little bit of a, a renaissance now that uh, Curtis Painter is the quarterback for the Colts, but he played on uh, on Sunday against uh, Andy Studebaker from Wheaton and the uh, and the Chiefs, and then uh, you know Cecil Shorts gets his name mentioned pretty much every week. Uh, he's returning punts for the Jaguars, um, so we got at least you know four significant um young players in the league i guess fred jackson has has been doing it for a while and uh, and then you got of course the you know the the grandfather uh at this point uh in london fletcher and and then the redskins also have byron westbrook from salisbury so you know as much as we talk about the two guys from mount union that are in the nfl there are guys um around the nfl from different schools and and for anybody out there that's listening and trying to hold on to the dream you know you, you do have to be exceptional at this level really dominant i think at the d3 level but you also have to get get an opportunity and make the most of it in the nfl and you know you look at a guy like fred jackson who uh, was a very good d3 player but then was kind of just hanging around in the nfl hanging on to a job every year for, for a while with the bills and now he's emerged you know and i think his seventh pro season something like that as a uh, real you know one of the nfl's uh, great surprise stories this season you know one D3 alum who's kind of a, a stealth guy in the NFL. We don't really talk about him too much because when you look at him on the roster, he doesn't come out with a uh, he doesn't come out with a D3 name. But it's uh, Stephen Hauschka, the uh, kicker for uh, the Seattle Seahawks now, uh, who was uh, did his undergrad at Middlebury. He played during uh, those handful of years where you could transfer to another school in Division One, do grad work there, and play on the uh, and play on the football team. So he played. Uh, one season for North Carolina State, got on the NFL's radar, kicked for a couple years with the uh, the Baltimore Ravens, and then on uh, on Saturday, uh, two for two on field goals, four for four on extra points, including a 51-yard field goal and a uh, a pretty surprising win for the Seahawks. Yeah, and and the interesting thing about about Hauschka's story is that you know he may never have have landed on those NFL radars if he had just. Um, kicked for Middlebury and then, you know, went on to be whatever successful thing he was going to be uh, dentist, after, Mi- after Middlebury. Uh, and while we're mentioning kickers, uh, we should also mention the, the punter, Matt Turk, also for the Jaguars, is a, is a Wisconsin Whitewater guy. And that was in the predominance years. So it's uh, pretty neat to have him in uh, his 16th NFL season. Some big plays over the uh, course of the weekend. Of course, uh, if you watched uh – Sports Center on Sunday morning, or I think uh, even uh, maybe ESPNU late on Saturday night, or you know if you visited d3football.com sometime in the middle of Saturday evening, you saw the uh, the two interception returns for Bowden. One, a 99-yard return for a touchdown, and then the second, a 100-yard interception return for a touchdown. These aren't things that the NCAA keeps track of. Certainly not at the Division Three level, but um, you know you'd have to think that the odds uh, that somebody else that another team has returned two interceptions 99 yards or longer for touchdowns in the same game is uh, is pretty rare. Uh, it starts uh, with uh, early in the second quarter, uh, Joey Cleary picks off Johnny Lindquist. This is Bowden against Tufts on Saturday uh, at the one-yard line and, and goes 99 yards for a score. And then uh, Griffin Cardew with uh, 4-10 remaining in the game picks off Lindquist at the goal line and returns it for 100 yards. Just to add to the... Uh, to the, the unique uniqueness of the situation. Uh, Cleary and Cardu are both sophomores. They're both roommates for Bowden as well. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great story. And, and it was a Saturday full of huge returns. You know, we mentioned the hundred yard 
uh, interception return in the Wittenberg game. And then, of course, there was um, in the in the Case Western game, there was another one of those, you know, they weren't 100-yard interception returns, but Dan Calabrese had one of those moments that, uh, or one of those stretches, I should say, that that defensive back stream about at the, uh, at the 125 mark of the second quarter. He, uh, you know, Case is already pulling away in this game 24-7, uh, against Oberlin, and then he uh, takes a picks off a pass, runs it back 55 yards for a touchdown. Um, Oberlin gets the kickoff, runs one play, and then throws another interception to Calabrese, and he takes that back 56 yards for a touchdown. So within a span of about 40 seconds, he has two uh, 55 and 56 yard interception return for touchdowns. He also added a third interception in that game. So it was uh, you know quite a quite a day, I guess, for for a memorable. Um, plays from defensive backfield and, and the Bowden one obviously uh, certainly stood out. And uh, strangely, Pat, this is a, a useless factoid, but uh, <laughs> I'll mention it anyway. The first D3 game I ever went to see was my, my dad taking me to, to Bowden and Tufts, which was right down the street from, from uh, where I lived uh, uh, as a very, you know, pre-high school, grade school. Um, back to Oberlin uh, case for a second. I think we have to be a little bit concerned about Oberlin. They are a, program that had made some strides they were moving a little bit forward i guess um but they uh you know they started the season with 50 players in camp uh reports were a couple weeks ago they seated up just 42 i think we heard we're hearing numbers uh below 40 there haven't been too many uh cases in a while keith where we've had to to worry about a team uh in terms of roster size and oberlin's been in this situation before you have to go back to the the uh, 1999 season where they actually dropped out of the North Coast Athletic Conference for football for a year um, in the middle of that, uh, that that long losing streak that they had. But, you know, in a position now where you, you got to play, uh, you got to play Wabash this week, you got to play Wash U the next week. Um, you know, Wabash, obviously the, the superior team uh, in that instance, but Wash U's no pushover. They still have to go to Allegheny. They may be uh, in trouble of suiting up a team for that uh, Allegheny te- game at the end of the regular season. Well, you know, the the, the real disappointing thing is, is that this is a program that had come so far from those uh, consecutive, you know, 0-10 seasons. It was with 30-some-odd games, right, or maybe had it got past 40 games. But it, it, it's come so far from that, that stretch where they lost so many games in a row that we, you know, I don't even remember the exact number anymore and I don't bring it up very often. You know, they went five and five and 06 and 07. They were four and six last season. They have two wins this season. So it, it, it's, it's definitely tough for, for a coach to keep everybody motivated week after week when you, when you lose all the time. And, and this is a tough stretch for them, you know, probably for a North coast team, uh, you know, North Coast has that that scheduling partnership with the UAA. You couldn't draw a worse three week stretch than to go to Wittenberg, go to Case, and then play Wabash the next week. I mean, that's about as hard as it gets in the North Coast in, in the UAA. Uh, at the same time, this is you know the team started the season two and one. So if you get through that stretch, and you hope they have you know at least forty some odd guys to to try to finish out the season, you know, with with the last three road games. But you don't want to get down to those numbers where you where you in the thirties. Because then it's really, I mean, I hate to be, you know, alarmist, but you start to say it's kind of dangerous. You know, you, you, you're not even necessarily too deep at every position. And, and you know, you got guys uh, playing positions they're not familiar with. That's when, when guys sometimes get hurt. So, uh, we, you know, we, uh, hopefully they can, uh, they can hang on here and, uh, and finish out the season as, as strong as possible. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. I guess, it's, and I guess it hasn't been that long, but it's been a couple years since we, uh, 
since we lost a program, uh, you know, we had a stretch where, for example, Mount Ida had to cancel games because of, of lack of personnel. They just didn't have enough guys. Um, you know, uh, uh, Blackbird and Principia were constantly programs that we had to worry about. They ended up dropping the sport a couple of years ago. Each of them did. Um, but it, it's, it's been a while. You know, uh, Jeff Ramsey has been there throughout pretty much all of this uh, as the head coach. Uh, you know, they, they had similar uh, low numbers last year. They started camp with 52 players. Uh, the year before, they started camp with 50. It, you know, they've never had great numbers, but you know, they hadn't been um, they hadn't been in trouble basically. And and I'm not sure uh, if they are necessarily now because you know we're just talking about uh, you know secondhand uh, eyeballs on it. But it, it's it it's not sounding good. Well, the good thing is that they that they are you know winning games, and that's. I know. I, I just, from my personal experience being recruited, and especially coming from a you know a high school program that we had a two and seven season when I was a senior. You know that was one of the big things I was looking at. Of course, you want to go somewhere and get a good education. You want to be able to play somewhere you'll see yourself getting on the field at some point. But you want to look at a program that, if it's not currently winning or not currently challenging for conference championships, you at least want to believe that it can in in a few years. And and that's a big thing uh, when when you know Coach Ramsey is going to be out recruiting to be able to, to sell that to the kids. It's already you know going to be tough enough to find kids that fit Oberlin's profile and that can get in and that are interested in also playing football in college. So uh, they're not drawn from, from a very big pool. So any, anything they have to help them, you know, wins, uh, you know, being in a good conference and all that stuff really uh, is a good selling point. Uh, we're up to lightning round time. And I think we got to start lightning round with the lightning that uh, occurred in West Texas on, uh, I was going to say Saturday night, it actually all afternoon. Um, Harden Simmons and McMurray were each scheduled to kick off at home uh, in the afternoon, and uh, neither of them got started until after about 6:30 local time. I think even later for McMurray. Um, the uh, I believe the entire Harden Simmons game got played, but uh, McMurray's game against Saul Ross uh, got interrupted by lightning in the second quarter. They went to a running clock. Uh, it got interrupted again at the end of the third, and they uh, since that was a long enough that was long enough to be a uh, to be considered a legal game. They finished with McMurray beating Solrath State 41 to 13. For Harden Simmons, it was a, uh, a a win against Howard Payne 33 to 14. I'm not even actually sure, and it, it's not necessarily easy to to pick out. Um, how far they got, but I think I have play-by-play here for an entire fourth quarter. So it sounds like they got that whole game in. Well, you know, football for for as tough as we are, and, and, and you know, you look at baseball and, and kind of go, eh, you know, they rain out, uh, you know, they cancel a game every time it drizzles or whatever. But you know, football we play through the rain, play through um, you know snow, a- any kind of conditions. You know, there's been games, you know, uh, east when you get in the East Coast, this Mid Atlantic area where the hurricanes are coming on. on Saturday and Sunday, and they, they hurry up and play the game Saturday afternoon. You play through all that slop, but lightning is the one thing you know nobody uh, messes around with, and, and, and that's that's mandated by uh, NCAA rule, of course. But um, you know you got a big metal thing on your head. You obviously don't want to be running around out there uh, in an open field when, when lightning is going on. So as, as aggravating as it probably is for a fan who wants to go to a game at one o'clock and it doesn't kick off till six thirty or so, uh, you, you know you kind of have to do it for the player's safety. Probably not the best uh, homecoming, certainly in the uh, in the history of uh, McMurray. Um, I'm gonna throw out uh, 
sap bucket. Tell us about the sap bucket. Well, the thing that, that caught my eye, you know, quite honestly, was that it, it, they were tweeting it and, uh, and retweeting it so often uh, over the course of the week that um, you, know, you kind of had to pay attention to it. It's Castleton State and, and Norwich. And a lot of times, you know, people are, are you're, you're blatantly trying to get the attention of, uh, of you know, whoever, whoever it is in the Twitterverse. You probably hate that word, but whatever. Um, uh, or, you know, get our attention. That that happens. And um you know, it's, it's, it's your tendency to, to not buy into it when people are trying to get your attention. But at the same time, when when it does catch on and when people really are putting that effort in, it shows that it that it, it's it started to mean something. And it's you know, you can't compare a brand new rivalry to, to Amherst Williams or, you know, uh, Mona Bell or anything like that or Cordica Jug. But you but it's it's a good building block, you know, and, and unfortunately, the game didn't didn't. Um, you know, quite live up to the hype, but it, it's good to see um, Castleton State, you know, their young program having a lot of energy and enthusiasm around it. And then Norwich, you know, for, for a program that's bounced around, you know, finding, trying to find a home um, to have them, you know, have rivals in Vermont, which is not something that they necessarily always had uh, in the past. That, that That's kind of worked out pretty good for them. So that, that's the main things I noticed about the Sap Bucket game. Keith, I just wrote down on my uh, little notepad here, Twitterverse is greater than blogosphere. I don't like Twitterverse, but I really hate the word blogosphere. Right. And I've That's now... the word you hate. That's what I'm <laughs> and I've now said it twice in the past uh, 30 seconds. Uh, I'm going to try to bury that and forget I ever said that. Um, St. Vincent W&J. Uh, St. Vincent didn't have a program for you know 40-some years. Uh, had never beaten Washington and Jefferson. I think that you know we both kind of figured, even though neither of us really talked about it, uh, we we talked about it a little bit when we were putting together the uh, the uh, the kickoff rankings and and looking at where the the uh, presidents of the conference might shake out. Uh, we kind of thought this was a year where St. Vincent had a shot at beating W and J, and they ended up doing it. Well, I, th- I think the thing in the case of St. Vincent and uh, and Birmingham Southern is is they were young programs, but you saw the signs. Um, that they were they were making progress, and sometimes you can't uh, always see it in the record. You know, St. Vincent, I believe, three and seven last season, and um, but the games were close. You know, they're they're in a lot of the games, and that that's when you start to believe. And, and you look at what they have done this year. You know, really had a chance to beat Bridgewater in the opener, and then uh, you know they thump Florham, win at Teal, uh, lose lose at Geneva by three, and then beat W and J. This team, you know, could be five and zero. You know, right there where Birmingham Southern is. And, um, you know, to, to, to beat Washington and Jefferson, especially when you play Thomas Moore the next week, you know, we talked about that three-game stretch in the North Coast. You, you can't get a worse hand dealt to you, uh, you know, in the pack, in the, in the President's Athletic Conference, than having to play W&J and Thomas Moore back-to-back unless you win the first one. Then you get that confidence. And all of a sudden, St. Vincent um, maybe maybe a legitimate contender right now. I mean, um, you know, they also could turn around and, and get crushed by Thomas Moore next week. You know, you don't know exactly how that's going to gonna pan out. But if you look at the pack standings, Thomas Moore and Waynesburg, 4-0 in conference play. Then you have St. Vincent and Westminster, each 2-1. and W&J with two losses, you kind of – uh, for right now, we consider them out of the mix until uh, until some other teams start losing. St. Vincent, though, uh, that that's a really big deal for them, and they had the uh, I believe they had to hold off W and J comeback in that game. It was thirty five twenty one at the at one point. Uh, w and J made it thirty five twenty seven. I believe uh, got the ball back, 
And yes. uh, in St. Vincent had to hang on. Yeah, uh, W&J had a Hail Mary uh, attempt to, as uh, time expired that uh, St. Vincent knocked away. And since this was uh, a home game for St. Vincent, and I believe uh, homecoming as well, uh, fans poured onto the field. It was uh, a whole bunch of bedlam. There is, uh, If you're you're listening to this on our page, scroll down. You get to the, uh, the D3 Reports uh, video block there. Uh, you also get a bunch of highlights from from games around Division Three on Saturday. One of those is the highlights of the uh, W&J St. Vincent game, and you can see that for yourself. I will stop describing it. Um, McAllister against Hiram played, of course, in Elmhurst, Illinois, uh, which I guess is halfway in between, uh, or more or less. Um, neither, one gets, neither one has to spring for a flight, and they both have to drive eight-plus hours to get there. Yeah, and, and it's probably pretty neat that they could find a, a centralized... Um, D3 field that, that, you know, was open that weekend and, and let them play the game. I mean, I think that's what stands out about it the most, except for that, uh, you know, Hiram and McAllister trying to find, uh, you know, Hiram's one and five, uh, McAllister, uh, you know, one on Saturday, uh, 31, 14, but, but they're, they're a program that struggles to find, uh, because they're in Minnesota where, where there's so many powerful programs, they struggle to find, um, teams that are kind of on their level, you know, and, and to be able to play, it just shows that they were they they were willing to drive. They were willing to meet in the middle to get a game with a, with a school that considers on its level, and they consider you know to recruit some of the same type of kids and and to get a good uh, solid game in. And Pat, you mentioned programs that were on the brink at one point. You know, McAllister was probably one of those. So to to see that program be healthy and to be playing games against team teams on its level is uh, probably something that uh, puts a smile on the face of of uh, alums from that school. The thumbnail sketch on McAllister, of course, uh, they're in the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference for every other sport. But in 2001, they dropped out of the conference for football to play an independent schedule. They played a lot of UMAC teams, a lot of Midwest Conference teams for a couple years. Um, then they still hadn't had a whole lot of success, um, although they certainly won more than the one or two games that they were winning in the MIAC every year. Last year, 6-3. and three. This year, 3-3. Three and three, They actually beat an MIAC team in Hamlin. Uh, they host Carleton. Uh, next week after a bye, and then they go to Augsburg. Uh, so they have two more shots at the at the MIC before the uh, season is over. Um, Wisconsin Oshkosh this week, Keith. Uh, Nate Wera, 6 of 12 passing for 68 yards, uh, 24 carries for 65 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, not exactly, uh, I would say, a, a classic um, recipe for, uh, for Oshkosh uh, to win, but they did it. They got a, a fairly impressive win on the road at Eau Claire. Yeah, and, and they needed that one because for for most of the season we're judging them on being a team that has you know they've won all their games and then they have this one outlier this forty one seventeen loss to Mount Union where you where you say well they're a very they're they're a team that was brave enough to play Mount Union and if they had scheduled somebody easy you know they might be five and zero oh. so they finally uh, got a win against somebody else who's had a pretty decent start in uh, in Wisconsin Eau Claire moved into the poll at number twenty five and I think. Those were, I think, my big movers this week were um, in, in the poll in the, in the top 25, even though there was only really just Wittenberg and Cortland State, I think, of top 25 teams that lost. And those were the two teams that dropped out of the poll this week, uh, 14th or 15th, dropped out, uh, leaving room for uh, for Birmingham Southern Oshkosh to move in. Uh, Oshkosh was one of, one of my big movers. Um, Montclair State kind of in Salisbury. 
Uh, I thought I replaced those two teams where I started them out earlier in the season where I sort of believed in them and then they struggled. They they didn't struggle, but they won games where they barely won and I lost a little faith in them and was able to to, to put them back where they go. Uh, Oshkosh impressed, Montclair State impressed, and, and Salisbury really impressed. Oshkosh has to go to Platteville next week, then they host Whitewater the week after that. Uh, you know, if if they went out other than uh, Whitewater, they finish eight and two. They provide a very uh, interesting challenge on Selection Sunday for the uh, for the NCA committee, which hasn't selected a two-loss team as an at-large since 2007. And in 2007, there was really only one one-loss at-large team to choose from, and that was Plymouth State, which uh, didn't even make the NEFC title game because they uh, finished second in their division. So it hasn't been a long time, basically, is what I'm trying to say, since the uh, committee uh, chose a two-loss team over a one-loss team. Uh, the, that's a, certainly have a chance to uh, to to uh, to force that kind of decision. Um, you, you talked about the, the poll, Keith, and um, you know, we talk about the, first of all, the fact that, um, you know, I, there are lots of times when I look at the poll and you look at a, a team that loses um, on a week where there's not a lot of other action going on. Um, and typically in the past, uh, a ranked team that loses uh, could stand to lose about 12 spots in the poll if nothing else around them happens. And in this case, um, you know, Wittenberg and Cortland State were, were back-to-back in the poll. They both lost. They both plummeted. Uh, because not a lot of other stuff happened. And I, I think that there was a situation you were talking about um, uh, Salisbury kind of redeeming itself for uh, for struggling against Christopher Newport earlier in the season. Uh, you know, Birmingham Southern's been kind of waiting there uh, along with Huntington. They've been uh, kind of riding the back of the fact that they beat Huntington earlier in the season, and Huntington's had uh, two wins against teams that were ranked at the time to kind of help them float up. Uh, the, it's... It, People talk about the the dynamics at the bottom of the pole, and, and these are the kind of kind of things that happen. You you, you talk about t- uh, you know looking at a team's individual point total from one week to the next, uh, especially for a team that's not in the top 25. They're not on everybody's ballot in the first place. Um, you, you know if you go from 39 votes to 35, or you go from 10 to six in any uh, one given week. You got to remember, you may have a good week, but someone else might have a better week. There are only uh, 25 spots on each person's ballot, so that that's a total of 8,125 points, and every point that you get has to come from somebody else. Yeah, Pat, you touched on pretty much all the, the key points. You know, one of them is right now, as of this week, take out the 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 NESCAC because they've only played three games. Take out the SCIAC because they've only played four games. Um, you still have 20 unbeaten teams, teams that are 4-0 and or 5-0. and And then you have 36 more teams that are 4-1 and or 5-1. and Now, not all those teams have played great opponents, but a lot of them have. So, you know, you look at some of the 5-1s, and ones, you got five wins, maybe an impressive win or two in there, and then one loss to another team that's ranked higher. You know, you're looking at 56 teams to squeeze into 25 spots. You can't squeeze them all in. The other thing is when you get down to the bottom of the poll, Pat, you did mention this Um the fluctuation um, is so sometimes the, the spots don't necessarily show, you know, what the what the points are doing. Uh, so a team may, you know, may 
move from you know 23rd to 22nd or they may not move at all but they got a whole lot more points than last week or they're one week you know for instance right now 23 23rd team in the poll alfred 62 points 24 team in the poll birmingham southern 61 uh 25 59 points so there's not a whole lot of space between 23 and 25 even though it's a big jump up to franklin uh, 22nd so they're getting uh a lot there are a lot more ballots even though they're only one spot ahead of of Alfred, you know, because there's a 79, um, there's a 17 point jump between Franklin and Alfred, and, and I'm I'm sure I explain that in a, in a confusing way, but um, the the one message I would I would send to anybody who's who's rooting a big fan of one of those teams or who's a player for those teams is is to not panic about anything that you see in the week six poll or the week seven poll or the week eight poll, because the great thing about the way things are done in Division three is that it all sorts itself out. You get a chance to, you know, you play your 10 games and at some point during the course of those 10 games, you'll have your one or two really good opponents that other people take note of. You know, um, Adrian made a big jump last week in terms of getting votes when they beat Shrine. Huntington made a little bit of a jump this week with the win over Wittenberg. They've at least moved ahead of Wittenberg in the uh, others receiving votes. And it may take some teams ahead of you to lose before you actually see the benefits of, of that jump, but, but now you're on people's radars, you know, voters across the country. Sometimes, uh, you know, they have teams in their, in their area that they're, that they're really high on that they like. Um, and it takes a few weeks for, for, to watch Huntington and, and see them beat teams and say, you know what, they are pretty good and other teams ahead of you will lose and they'll move up. So uh, the big, the big message is nobody remembers who, where you were ranked in week six. So keep on playing, keep on winning and things will sort themselves out. Uh, we'll end on that note and uh, just take a look ahead at uh, what's coming up next week. Week 7 in Division Three football uh, kicks off on a, uh, on a Friday night with uh, Dickinson going to Johns Hopkins and Wisconsin Stout going to uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, Mount Union is at Heidelberg. Uh, game might not sound like much, but Heidelberg is 4-1, and one, and they obviously are in a position to... Uh, to to make uh, to make some things messy if they come away with a win in that game, uh, I mentioned Thomas Moore is playing St. Vincent. Uh, Kane is at Brockport State. Uh, Montclair State hosts William Patterson. That's a, a pretty short trip. Illinois Wesleyan is at uh, is at Elmhurst, and then uh, Salisbury at Alfred. That is a game between uh, top twenty five opponents and, and key obviously for the Empire Eight. And then uh, you know some interesting games between unranked teams that will. Uh, you know, have some impact on where standings shake out. Washington and Lee is at Randolph, Macon, Hampton, Sydney at Emory and Henry, uh, and, and other games. You know, down the schedule, uh, Wilkes at Lycoming, for example. There's a, Ithaca at Springfield. Some some games that have been interesting in the past. Uh, a, you know, a, a game between unbeaten's as a center goes to Birmingham Southern. There's a lot of interesting things yeah. coming up next week. And and that's the 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 beauty of when you when you zoom back a little bit. Uh, and you look at the big picture in Division Three, and I realize a lot of our listeners are are looking at everything through uh, the one team they root for or the one team they really like. You you look through that prism first, then you you look through your conference, uh, except in the case of uh, you know Huntington or Wesley or DePaul, and then and then you look at the region and then the, and the national picture. And, and some of us sometimes we're taking it uh, we're taking it the other way. We're looking at this big picture and then zooming down in on on uh, different teams. You know Huntington at Trinity is another big game next week. Um, 
there's there's so many games across the country that that end up being big games that it, it makes it really interesting to to follow because something's happening every week. You know, you, we thought two weeks ago was was a huge week because there were so many top twenty five matchups, and then this week, you know, even though we didn't have a whole bunch of of uh, top twenty five upsets, you ended up having you know these great games and all these these cool occurrences with the uh, long touchdown. Uh, interception returns and all that stuff so uh it's a fun ride and you know before you know it a month will go by and we'll be looking at week 11 uh playoffs uh selection sunday and and you know eliminated half the playoff field uh, and that's what we're here for we're here to give you the uh, the view on division three football from thirty thousand feet uh he's keith mcmillan i'm pat coleman stick around for other things coming up on uh, d3football.com this week of course we've got uh, d3 reports coming out uh posting at the bottom of this page and then you can see him on the front page on monday afternoon we'll pick our uh, d3football.com play of the week sponsored by the city of salem that'll be out on tuesday morning and on tuesday afternoon we'll have around the region uh and uh into wednesday and then on thursday keith's around the nation column